Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. There are indeed two covenant heads, Adam and Christ. Adam sinned and therefore humanity was put under the curse and were then therefore enslaved to sin. Yet where Adam failed, Christ was victorious. Adam grasped at the glory of God to be like him, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Adam succumbed to the temptation of the serpent and chose to serve the creature rather than the creator. But Christ Jesus, though tempted in every way, yet without sin, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ has become our new covenant head, and his covenant is one that is everlasting. In his covenant is regeneration, forgiveness, reconciliation, and the everlasting presence of our great and awesome God. So brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises us the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. The reading of God's word this morning begins in Genesis chapter 17. And we'll read verses 3 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, a servant who is born in the house, or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. We'll turn now to Galatians chapter 1. begin in verse 15. But when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was though he, let's start over. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, 
I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by the sight of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who, was once persecuted, who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our, uh, our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. While those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship, to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. We'll turn now to Acts chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 19. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he, when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, it continued to increase. 
If you would now please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together Psalm 73, verses 21 through 28. Psalm 73. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of the same essence as the same essence as the father through him all things were made and for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven he became incarnate by the holy spirit and the virgin mary and he was made human he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end and we believe in the holy spirit the lord the giver of life he proceeds from the father and the son and with the father and the son is worshiped and glorified he spoke through the prophets we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Father, now we turn to your word and we thank you that you've gifted the church 
and your people individually with the Holy Spirit that he might teach us and that he might apply your word and we ask that you would help us. We thank you for the epistle to the Galatians and the emphasis on boasting in the cross. And we want to be the kind of people who do just that. Our boast should be in what Christ has done for us. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, whom you reused to reach people like us, Gentiles, and draw them in faith to the Savior. And we pray now that as we study this epistle, you would build us up in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I don't know if you uh, have thought much about New Testament time, but we're going to take the date of 30 A.D. to be the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, we're going to take the position that later on in A.D. 30, Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. That means his first trip to Jerusalem took place in 33 A.D., and as we'll see, his second trip to Jerusalem took place in 44 A.D., and uh, he uh, went on a missionary journey, and after that missionary journey, he took another trip to Jerusalem to what we call the Jerusalem Council because of the dispute and the contention about the truth of the gospel. So that uh, particular visit was, well, we don't know exactly, but we'll say 48 or 49, maybe even 50 A.D. So when you think about Galatians, you probably think about it from the 16th century and Martin Luther and the Reformation. There's a history behind the problems at Galatia and in Jerusalem. We'll talk about them. But notice the amount of time. From the time that Paul met Christ on the Damascus Road and received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ and went out and taught and went on his first missionary journey for 20 years, 20 years, there was trouble in the church. And you can begin to understand it if you think of yourself and then put yourself in Jewish shoes. We read the passage from Genesis chapter 17, and circumcision put a little infant into the covenant at eight days old. And God was the God of that infant, and that infant belonged to God. This is the history of Israel. And then along comes a transition, something new, something unexpected. And all of a sudden, well, Jewish people certainly were looking for Messiah. Paul was looking for Messiah. Not the kind of Messiah that Jesus was, but Paul discovered him because God found Paul out. 
And he understood, having had a revelation of Jesus Christ and going off to Arabia and meeting with Jesus Christ and being taught by Jesus Christ, he knew the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel centered around faith in the cross with nothing else. Well, as we'll see in Galatians chapter 3, baptism's there. But the emphasis of the section we're in is on faith. And yet, as Jewish people saw Gentile people coming to Christ and not being circumcised, it was just a head-scratcher. How can you have Jesus as Messiah without being circumcised. The Messiah belongs to Israel. And if you recall, to make the problem more intense, as a Gentile person, you could participate in sacrifices in Israel, even in the Day of Atonement, but you could not participate in Passover. You could not participate in Passover as a foreigner, as a non-Jew, unless you became a Jew through circumcision. So if you come into the land of Israel and you want to do what Jewish people are doing at the temple, then you as a dad with a wife and a family and a bunch of kids who were Gentiles who never thought of circumcision to participate in Passover to make Passover your history, you had to be circumcised. So it's easy to step back into Reformation time and all the problems with the Roman Catholic Church and the issue is one justified by faith alone or is one justified by faith plus works. Well, that was a 16th century problem. It was only partially the problem in the days that Paul wrote the book, the epistle to the Galatians. They weren't thinking of the entire law. They were thinking of one simple little thing. Well, two simple little things. Well, three simple little things. One was faith. One was food laws. And one was Sabbaths. All very Jewish things. Not thinking about all the other things that the law said. Not thinking, oh yeah, you know, I got to believe plus stop lying to go to heaven. Not thinking, you know, I can be good enough to go to heaven. They're not thinking any of that. They recognize one is called to believe in God. And they discovered, many Jewish people did, that Jesus is God. The trouble they had was with the things that made them Jewish. That's what Galatians is about. And so, Paul himself is Jewish. And he thought the same way before he met Jesus 
on the road to Damascus. After all, that's exactly what he was doing. He was going off to persecute the church for non-circumcision, going off to persecute the church because Jewish believers who were circumcised were believing in this Jesus. So with Gentiles, persecute them for non-circumcision. With Jews, persecute them for believing in Jesus. And then Paul's world turned upside down just in a moment. Well, that's kind of the way it works for a lot of people. They fight and they fight and they fight, and then Jesus captures them, and that's that. So there's all this controversy swirling around the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul is a defender. We're going to see it twice. Well, we may only say it once today. But twice it's found in Galatians. It's in chapter 2. The truth of the gospel. The truth of... We didn't give way so that we would maintain the truth of the gospel for you. When I saw that Cephas was not holding to the truth of the gospel, I confronted him in front of everyone to his face. What's the truth of the gospel? Well, the truth of the gospel is Christ died for our sins that we might be delivered from this present evil age. The truth of the gospel is may it never be that I should boast in circumcision or in uncircumcision, but in the cross. For Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but new creation. Not a new creation, as if you could narrow that down and say, hey, I'm the new creation, although that would be a new true, that would be a new, a true statement. But when he says new creation, he's not just thinking of you as an individual. He's thinking about a new creation that started right in the middle of history. Well, it might not be the middle. But from where we stand, it's kind of the middle. Everything's moving along, moving along, and then here comes Jesus, and he's lifted up on a cross, and from there he's lifted up into heaven, having died for our sins, and from that moment on, the world is never the same again. There is a present evil age that is swept away because Jesus defeated the principalities and the powers. All the things behind idolatry, all the demons, they're all defeated. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. So one is delivered out of the present evil age and made a part of the new creation. It was... 20 years until the Jerusalem Council, roughly speaking, 20 years until this council got together and they decided, okay, this is the truth of the gospel and we're going to ask for four different concessions from the Gentiles to help Jewish people and Gentile people get along. Now, you know, most of us have grown up, well, all of us here who aren't related together, we, we grew up in different ways. 
And uh, some of us grew up in Christian families and they're taught a certain thing and then they go to a different church and that thing isn't taught. And it's just easy to slam it and say, no, no, that can't be right. You see, that's where the Jews were. That cannot be right. But Jesus' death defeated all powers, took away all sin, took away Gentile uncleanness, covered the transgressions of Gentile idolatry. Because Jews would not sit down with a Gentile because those Gentile people are unclean. After all, number one, they're not circumcised. And number two, they eat unclean foods. And number three, they worship idols that are full of uncleanness. And you expect me to sit down and eat with a Gentile who says, I believe in Jesus when I believe in Jesus, but I don't eat that food. And I don't go to those temples to worship. And I'm circumcised. Now, if you can just put yourself in the moment, you can understand. Because all of us have been in cases like that, you know, where, you, where you've been taught a certain way and you think this is the truth of the gospel. It, it can't be any other way. And by the way, there is a truth of the gospel that can't be any other way. I'm not saying it's wishy-washy. I'm just saying, if you take all of evangelicalism and you go to every church, every church does not teach the same thing. They all teach the cross. They all teach faith in Jesus. They all teach that works can't save you if they're evangelical. But they teach certain things that come so dear that we just can't hardly stand to be around people who don't hold the same things. I'm only saying that to get you to think. What was going on for 20 years was a rough, tough issue. And it's easy to come along and say, well, those stupid Jewish people, they must not even have been Christians when they say they believe in Jesus but wanted Gentiles to be circumcised. They must just not have been Christians. They're adding a work to faith. It took 20 years to hammer it out before the council met and said, here it is. So our passage today really picks up in verse 18. And uh, Paul is trying to prove, because, because of this huge controversy between Gentiles who don't know anything, and along comes Paul and gives them the gospel and says, you know, you trust Christ, the power of sin is broken the penalty of sin is gone. You're delivered out of this idolatrous eon in which you've participated. Now you're brought into the new creation to worship Jesus. That's just what they know. It's simple. And just like everybody in this room, we don't grow very quickly, do we? We don't change very swiftly, do we? So it happened then. It took a long time, and there had to be patience and understanding. That's what it took. And I'm sure there was a lot of finger-pointing. 
So Paul wants to show that this thing that Jews just cannot fathom, cannot accept, he wants to show. No, this is the truth of the gospel. No, Paul, you got your gospel from Jewish leaders and then you twisted it. You didn't understand it. They would never say this. No, I didn't get my gospel from any man and I wasn't taught it by any man. And so he's giving this history of what happened from the moment he met Christ until 14 years later and then a few more years. He's given a history to show. Now, if you just watch the way this worked out, I didn't get it from man. I got it from Jesus. He also uses in chapter 1 when he tells us that he didn't go to talk with flesh and blood, but he went off to Arabia, and then he came back to Damascus. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. I've paraphrased it. There's four places in the New Testament where Paul says, I'm not lying. One is in Romans. I forgot where one is. And then R2. Oh, 2 Corinthians. Sorry. 11. I needed that one. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11 is about being in Damascus. And he's telling me something. I'll, get, I'll give it to you in a minute. But my first point is, there are four places where Paul says he's not lying. Two of the places, one is here in Galatians, is taken with an oath. Taken with an oath. Now, you know enough about Paul that he's not going to swear before God unless it's serious. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. Well, so Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus later on in A.D. 30. And he went off to Arabia Remember, we were saying that uh, some of the language in chapter 1, particularly chapter 1, puts Paul in the same category as people like Jeremiah and Isaiah and the servant of Yahweh, from my mother's womb kind of language. So Paul also uses Elijah kind of language. I was more zealous than all my contemporaries, my fellow countrymen, in progress in Judaism. That is, devoting oneself carefully to the Sabbaths, the keeping the Sabbaths correctly, eating the right foods, staying unclean, and circumcision. And Paul's zealousness, obviously, was shown in the fact that he persecuted people who were not being Judaizing. Judaizing doesn't mean you're going out and changing people. It can mean that, but it's a word that's used personally. Am I zealous for the Jewish stuff? So the language fits prophets like Jeremiah, 
prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Elijah, and it fits Paul. So he's put himself right in the servant of the Lord tradition from Isaiah chapter 49, where the servant of the Lord is called to be a witness not only to Jews but also to Gentiles. The servant of the Lord in chapter 49 wonders, have I run in vain, have I wasted my time, as Paul will in chapter 2. The servant of the Lord in the end is one who brings glory to God, as Paul says at the end of chapter 1, he did. So when Paul meets Christ, he doesn't confer with flesh and blood, but he goes off to Arabia, and then he comes back to Damascus. He doesn't tell us so much about what he was doing, but look what he says in verse 17. He says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once again to Damascus. So we read Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 9 doesn't tell about him going off to Arabia. It just puts his eyes being open and Damascus right together. But what he did is he went off to Arabia, and then he came back to Damascus. And in Damascus, he was uh, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he was doing. And the Jews there plotted against him, and so fellow believers picked him up, put him in a basket, and let him down over the wall because the gates were being guarded. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in Paul's inverted boast, because the Corinthians were boasting in all the great things, then Paul boasted in all the terrible things that happened to him. And the last boast was about being put down over the wall in Damascus in a basket. Why? Because that's a tradition of going up over the wall into a city to capture it. What is he doing? He's running from it. And so in his boast of all these things that happened to him, this is put in the boast also, and he says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. So Paul goes back to Damascus, and then in verse 18 it says, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem... Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. Now, the word acquainted is a, a word from which we get the word story. So he's going up to get Peter's story. He's going to give his story. He wants to know what makes Peter tick. He says, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the brother of our Lord. Now, in what I am saying, what I am writing to you, I am, I, I assure you, I am telling the truth. This is an oath. I'm telling you the God's honest truth. That's what I'm saying. 
Then I went down to the regions of, region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by sight to the churches of Judah, which were in Christ, but only they, uh, only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me, which is straight out of Isaiah chapter 49. The servant of the Lord brings glory to God by going to the Gentiles. So here we are. He takes his first missionary journey, I mean, his first journey up to Jerusalem, and he talks with Peter. He wants to know what makes Peter tick. And he doesn't really talk to anybody else except James, the Lord's brother. And, of course, James was the elder of the church in Jerusalem, kind of the head of the church in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 2, he's going to go on to show when he talked with people, and he's going to tell us what exactly happened. So you come to the end of chapter 1, he met with Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus the Nazarene whom you're persecuting. So he meets Christ, goes to Mount Sinai like Elijah did to meet with the Lord, and he comes back to Damascus, and then he ends up in Jerusalem three years later, and... Uh, there's a lot that could be said about that, but we don't have time to talk about it, that we read from Acts chapter 9. Chapter 2 is Paul's second trip to Jerusalem, and he goes up after an interval of 14 years, but the way you measure it is you measure it from his conversion. So it's not 3 plus 14, it's just 14 years. So now we're at A.D. 44, and we, when we follow through an Acts and we see James being put to death, we can measure that out. We know that by history, so this record is accurate. He says, then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I, I submitted to them the gospel which I was preaching among the Gentiles. But I did not, uh, I did not, uh, do so, I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So this quote or this illusion in chapter 2 comes from Isaiah. The servant of the Lord, turns out to be Jesus, says, I've given up my strength in vain. But then there's hope after that, and that's what Paul is saying. Okay, so I came up to Jerusalem, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet with the guys of reputation. The word, I'm looking at the numeric standard. The word reputation is the word to suppose something. So there's the supposed one. You know, you walk into a room, and you wonder, who, who are the important people? 
And, and you know, you're looking around, you're looking around, you're looking around. Oh, that must, that's Hyde Robinson. He's one of the supposed ones. But, of course, he's talking about the apostles, and he wants to see what they're saying versus what he's saying, and he's afraid that he might run, be running in vain or had run in vain. Now, based on what's been said, is Paul questioning what he's preaching? The answer is no. He doesn't question that at all. He met the Lord. He knows the truth of the gospel. What he's worried about is what's being said in Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem is not saying the same thing he's saying, then bringing this group together, these churches, is a problem. And in that sense, he would be running in vain. So he submitted the gospel that he preached, and he did it privately. Okay, so if you do it privately, you say, okay, Peter, John, you guys come on over here and... I want to meet with you, but I don't want anyone else there. It's because you're a little worried about what's going to be said. He did it privately. And then it says, But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, He's in a meeting, and he's got apostles around him, and he's got Titus, and it's a private meeting, and Titus is not compelled to be circumcised. Now, how does that pop up? Well, he goes on to tell us how it popped up. Not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. So it's, it's well, let's just see what the next verse says. So he says in verse 4, but it was because of the false brethren, pseudo-brethren, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel might be might remain with you now remain with here is a, it's an intent it's the word abide but it's intensified absolutely remain with you so we don't know exactly what happened he's in this private meeting he's sub submitting what he's preaching and he's preaching faith in the lord jesus christ takes away sin and you don't need to do Jewish things. You don't need to be circumcised. He's talking to the apostles. And somebody sneaks in. How that happened, I don't know. But somebody got involved in the meeting and they were pushing Titus to be circumcised but they didn't give way in subjection for even an hour because the truth of the gospel was at stake. And what is the truth of the gospel? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ plus circumcision equals salvation? No. That is what was submitted at the Jerusalem Council. 
No, the truth of the gospel is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, boom, puts you into the new creation. Now, that's very similar to the problems Protestants had with Catholics in the 16th century because Catholics aren't adding, I mean, are adding to faith things you have to do. Protestants said no. But the circumstances are completely different. This is a thoroughly Jewish problem. And you can understand it because in the Old Testament, if you did not circumcise your kid, you're out of the covenant. You're on your way to hell. You see, it's, it's a tough issue. Paul says we, we didn't give way for even an hour that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And so today, when we cry out, when we cry out justification by faith alone in Christ alone, yeah, we're right on track with Paul. Uh, we came about that through a problem with Roman Catholics. Paul came about it in the midst of a controversy with Judaism. And Judaism, after all, was the track of God's people. We even say it today. Oh, Israel's God's chosen people. And I, just, I, just, I, I just almost want to start laughing when people say that. Not because I don't believe it, because the same thing is said about us in the New Testament. No, I, I, yeah, Israel is, and I'm chosen too. Right? Yes. So what Galatians is talking about ends up with what Martin Luther was talking about, but they come from two different situations. The history is different. We have more to say about the history as we go on, but we'll, we'll get there. Okay, then, then there's a second part. Now we've, we've dealt with the fir first part. In 44 AD, Paul comes up and he presents what he's saying about the gospel. And he's worried. Am I running in vain or have I run in vain? Well, this gets highlighted as we go through the book. Because if you have to have the Jewish church here and the Gentile church here, you've run in vain. If you have to have a table for the Lord's Supper over here for Jews and a different one for Gentiles over here, you, you've run in vain. And Peter's action said, yeah, that's just what you have to have. We'll see. We'll see that in a minute. Maybe we'll see it in a minute. Okay, so the next section then is going to go on about this visit. And he says, but from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. He's not trying to be impolite. He's just, he's just trying to say, okay, yeah, there are important people in the church. I mean, after all, the apostles are important. They're, they're the foundation of the church. But he's saying, not even an apostle, not even an apostle can change what the truth of the gospel is. It makes no difference to me what their reputation is or what status that, as they have. I know what the truth of the gospel is. It makes no difference to me God shows no partiality. Of course, the word partiality is not there. It says God doesn't look at faces. 
You know, God looks at the heart. Well, those who were of reputation, uh, those who were of reputation, contributed nothing to me, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been uh, entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcision, just as Peter had uh, to the circumcision, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcision, effectually worked also with me to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcision. So, Paul's saying, okay, you think the apostles gave to me and then I twisted it? No, I went up and we talked together and they saw what I saw They saw God gave me grace to be an apostle to the Gentiles. God gave Peter and the others grace to be apostles to the Jews. And they contributed nothing to me, meaning they agreed exactly with what I've been saying. They too know that we're not talking about faith plus circumcision. We're talking about faith alone in Christ alone. Then verse 10, which takes us back to the beginning of the chapter. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Now look back up to verse 2 of chapter 2. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Well, this vision, I mean, this, this revelation comes from Acts chapter 11. So we have the history of Paul in Acts chapter 9, and then Paul uh, ends up in Tarsus for 10 years. He goes to Damascus. He goes up to Jerusalem three years after his conversion. That wouldn't be the right word. Three years after he met Christ. And then for the next 10 years, he's gone. But in year 14, he goes up because, uh, you remember, Barnabas had went and and found Paul and brought him back to Antioch to teach in the church there. And a prophet named Agabus came down from Jerusalem and prophesied there would be a great famine. This was the revelation. And so the church at Antioch collected money, whatever, for the people who were involved in the famine 
up at Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas took the money and went up to Jerusalem. So Paul had come. He came to give an account of his gospel, but he came because they were bringing money to the poor. You get to the end of the section, and Peter and Cephas and John, I mean Peter and James and John, say, hey, our right hand of fellow, we're in this together, but we want you to remember the poor. In other words, you came and you saved our necks. And we're going to need more of that same kind of saving. And Paul says, ah, oh, that's what we were eager to do. Now, that's crucial. I'll end with this. That's crucial. We'll start verse 11 next week, and it's just appropriate. But that shows you, that shows you in a real way that the apostles in Jerusalem were in league with Paul because they accepted the gift. I don't know how many years ago, McKinney Bible Church had some missionaries who were unhappy with the shift in Craig Nelson's theology. And they left the church, and they wouldn't accept our money anymore after that. What are they telling people? They're telling people... No, if we take that money, it will be dirty because we don't believe exactly the same thing. But Peter, James, and John took the money because they believed exactly the same thing, the truth of the gospel. Now, mind you, I don't agree with what happened about not taking the money. They should have taken the money. Because now they're saying, oh, no, we're, we're like Gentiles eat at this table. Jews eat at this table. They have brought disunity. That does not glorify Christ. So let me emphasize. Galatians is about justification by faith. But it's all wrapped up in unity. I don't know if I said this before. Uh, I heard a man say, you know, if Paul were here today, so, somebody asked him the question, what, what about unity in the church? He said, if Paul were here today and he looked at the way the church is disunified, he would just be dumbfounded. He said, but what's even worse, Paul wouldn't believe that nobody even cares about it. So, you know the church has had problems. Till 1965, the seminary I went to, black people couldn't go there. So, white people sat at this Lord's table. Black people sat at this Lord's table. Now, that was not the truth of the gospel. This is a serious book. But its main focus is not what we thought it was. Its main focus is unity. Well, of course, you have to have the truth of the gospel for unity. And so 
even though Dallas Seminary taught, oh yeah, anybody who believes in Jesus is justified, they got something else by saying, oh yeah, but black people can't come here to seminary. Mind you, it's not just Dallas Seminary did that. Almost all white seminaries did that. It was despicable. And thank God it's over. But there are plenty of other issues that are despicable that divide the church that should not divide the church. And that is the message of Galatians. If we had a big round table, we should have people sitting at that of all different ages. We should have people sitting of that, at that at all different ethnic groups. We should have people sitting at that who hold to the truth of the gospel but disagree on certain doctrines. That's what Galatians is about. Delivering us out of this present evil age into a new creation that fits together like this. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you that our Savior died for our sins, that we might be delivered out of what Paul called the present evil age. And we thank you that we're in the new creation age. And we thank you that all of the problems that exist within the church, you will take care of them in your timing. But Father, help us to be open to what the message of this book is, unity in the church. And Lord, we, we know it's complicated. There are times when it's just necessary to meet in different locations, things like that. But help us to catch the flavor. We don't want Jew and Gentile separated we don't want ethnic groups to feel like they don't belong. We, we want what Paul wanted, to know, ah, when Jesus died, he paid for the sin of hatred. He paid for the sin of discrimination. He paid for the sin of superiority. He paid for it all. And we've been delivered from the power of sin. Help us to live that way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.